Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. First things first, pour some Pinot. Pinot. Drop this like a badass neutrino. Neutrino. And I'm still in the science business. I can hold you down like I'm giving lessons in physics. You should know. E equals MC square. Michio Kaku, what is up with your white hair? Cup of ace, cup of goose. Put the quiche Formula, you should try a little thing called Grecian. Saying evolution's dropping knowledge for us. Why is Flintstone riding on a brontosaurus? Bring the books. Word of ASAP. String theory spilling. You should taste that. Michio Kaku. How come you don't know? I'm queen of quantum. From Berkeley to Tokyo. Tokyo. Today on the nose, a rapper battles with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Facebook decides there's more to life than liking. And the casting of Michael Jackson is hashtag so white. And now his physics rap handle is MC Square. Colin McEnroe. McEnroe. <laughs> I have to say, That's the best that, intro. That, that was pretty awesome. Um, I spent an hour and 15 minutes of my life writing a Iggy Azalea style rap battle lyric, but it was worth it given what uh, Wolfie just did with that. So that was amazing. Star is uh, boring. Fine work in the studio there. And uh, good thing, singing, too. All right, so that, well, we should just end the show right there, right? We don't mic have drop. to do anything. Yeah, mic drop. So, but we're not going to do that. Welcome to the nose. Uh, joining us here in the studio, Luis Figueroa, a professor at Trinity College and then a professor of guitar and mixing and producing and everything else is Jim Chapdelaine and then a professor of comedy, dance, acting, blogging, I don't know, some other stuff, too. Carolyn Payne, a slightly cranky Carolyn Payne, although I feel like your mood is lifting right now. That, that, I have to say that that intro helped yeah. a little. Yeah, see? see? That's, the, why, that's why we did it, actually. It's a cuddle drug. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's right. She's just flooded with oxytocin. Right. Uh, that's great. That's good news. So a little bit later in the show, we will um, talk about the thing that inspired that intro, which I don't know how many people have followed this, but a rapper named B.O.B. or Bob. Um, I'm not even sure whether it is B.O.B. It's B.O.B. It's B.O.B., right, yeah. Uh, although they taunt him by calling him Bob, I noticed, in, in the diss track. But anyway, so he has been uh, making a lot of noise on Twitter about the fact that uh, apparently the earth is flat. Uh, show me the curvature, he says. Uh, and so he's gotten into kind of a battle with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson has stepped forward to take him on. We'll tell you more about that uh, as if anything more needs to be said. I think more does, though. And also later in the show, Facebook is moving beyond the like button six billion times a day. People click the like button, but there's more to life than just liking, right? I mean, we know that. Um, so anyway, we'll talk about that as well, uh, how your life is about to change there, Facebook users. Uh, but before that, at the beginning, we're going to talk about a project that you probably wouldn't have ever seen or possibly ever heard of, although, I mean, maybe you would have. It's, it's being done in Britain. It's uh, being done by Sky Television, uh, and it's called Elizabeth, Michael, and Marlon. It's a one-off half-hour comedy on Sky Arts. Maybe it'll be imported over here. Maybe you can get it on Netflix. People are getting very interested in it because it's the story of Marlon Brando and Elizabeth Taylor and Michael Jackson fleeing New York after the 9-11 attacks, one of those hilarious 9-11 comedies. Uh, and um, cast as Michael Jackson is Joseph Fiennes. So um, this, of course, plays into 
uh, Jim Joplin, the controversy that we've been having right now over the last few weeks, the so-called so uh, hashtag Oscars so white uh, controversy, uh, not enough good black roles, not enough uh, honor bestowed on good black performances, and then suddenly you get this. So I actually have my own thoughts about this, which I will hold in reserve for a bit. Uh, they may not be everybody else's thoughts, but is this the same thing as far as you're concerned? Well, it certainly uh, guarantees – Joseph Fine an Oscar nomination, doesn't it? I mean, he's in right now. Like he just he's a shoe in now. Based on the SNL skit, yeah, probably. Um, it, yeah, I can't. You know, it's so the whole everything about this is so absurd. First of all, a nine eleven comedy mm -hmm. road trip. Right. So that that means at some point, two of the characters have to look at each other as they're driving off a precipice and scream ah huh. and have a something deleted. Um, I, I want to know which two they are. And then there's Joseph Fiennes playing Michael Jackson. So I wondered if, his, if this is like a, an old Beckett script or Cocteau and it's some Dada trick that they transported to the future because I can't take it seriously. But I, I suppose I should because it is offensive. All right. Well, let's uh, find out how – as far as I can go with yeah. it right now. Let's it's find out how so offensive silly. it is. Well, first of all, you want to talk offensive uh, – um, Carolyn is uh, the reason she's so cranky is she's gotten off the casting carousel. You've been in New York going through the casting process, um, and so I, I'm assuming from the emails that we've been getting that for you it's really hard to point to one particular thing in the casting process that strikes you as insane. Yeah, I mean it's just all bizarre. Uh, <laughs> this whole week I've just been in rooms where you're you're looking at everyone else in the room and trying to find a common denominator for what they're looking for and you know trying to guess how you can trick them into casting you and there's usually just not a way that you're going to be able to figure out how to do that. You should have got the Michael Jackson role. Right? You know, my agent put me in for it, mm -hmm. but um, I, I'm actually going to play LaToya in a flashback scene. Yeah. So um, this, the, this whole – when I heard about this project, I thought it was a joke, like everything about it. I, I just I, – I guess I was kind of hoping it was a joke. Like the script – the whole concept sounds like a bad student film that you read about, like on backstage casting – like, student film, no pay, looking for actors to play Michael Jackson and Elizabeth Taylor for a road trip comedy about 9-11. And, you know, you're like, well, I'm going to submit to that because that's obviously a total train wreck that will get attention. Side, Ice Cube is playing Marlon Brando. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, actually, Joseph, Just a ballad. Joseph Fine says the writing is a delight uh, in the script. So that's the, <laughs> that's the good news. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. <laughs> so, so, Luis, what about this? Is this kind of of a piece of the, with the stuff that we've been getting mad about for the last couple of weeks? Well, <clears throat> the first thing is that um, uh, it's not uh, – has not been clarified in some of the media. Uh, this is when, – when it came out, uh, people thought that this would be an upcoming feature film. It's not, as you said, it's half an hour show. But also importantly, it's already done. They filmed it. They are in post-production. They're in the editing phase of this. Color um, correction. So, so, no, no, no. But so, so what that makes, I wanted to say that in order to then say that they, you know, it's, it's not just that it comes in the context of this year's Oscar So White. It came after last year's Oscar So White mm -hmm. because that's when the hashtag, you know, that campaign began, right? Plus, other kinds of controversies that were along these lines. For example, um, the hiring uh, of a Latina actress who is kind of like light cinnamon uh, skin tone to play Nina Simone in a movie, that created like a year or two ago a tremendous controversy as well. And there's a long history 
in filmmaking of using um, actors um, that have nothing to do, don't look even like the characters that they're playing. Uh, even before that, there's a minstrel tradition, especially in this country, but not only here. Uh, so, it, so when I read, uh, that was exactly what I was thinking, was the minstrel tradition, the, the blackface tradition, uh, that was not only very popular in the United States, it was very popular also in Latin America. Well, also, I mean, if you go back to the days of Ira Aldridge, uh, who was the first black actor to play Othello, uh, he played it at Covent Gardens, and there were virtual riots there right. because they had never seen, they'd seen Edmund Keane play Othello in blackface. Um, they'd never seen. However, I just want to say this, okay, I mean, I want to say a couple of things. Okay, so Joseph Fiennes is not a top-tier actor, but he's a good actor. Um, weirdly, I don't know if you were watching. I had the uh, Republican debate on just sort of in the background uh, last night, and this commercial popped up for this kind of Bible and sword uh, movie that's uh, – I think it's called Arisen or something like that. And he's, he's the lead <laughs> in that too. So uh, I think he's like a Roman – Tribune or soldier or something. Are you sure, that's not a Schwab commercial. No, no, it absolutely was. But here's the thing. Okay, like the way that I look at this is, it's this problem. This problem that Luis has just sketched out is bad globally. You know, and the problem is a global problem. It's a big problem. The particulars of any casting, I think, are like I'm mad. Be, well, let me just say the, the particulars of any casting. I, I think you know. I mean, with Michael Jackson, this is a person who's being portrayed at a time when he was very apparently pretty conflicted about his race. I mean, talk about blackface, whiteface. This was a guy who had really been lightening his own skin. He was struggling very much with who he wanted to be. I'm not so sure that – I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure I want to see this thing, to your point, but I'm not so sure that this is that terrible an idea. I mean, I think there are a lot of terrible ideas, but I think they need to be looked at one well, by I one. Well, I think it's going to have to – I, I need to see this just because I think everyone will have the need to see it. And I was joking, maybe he can moonwalk really well. And mm. he, the casting was completely deserving. Maybe he is just a really good Michael Jackson. And that was, you know, that this casting is appropriate in that context. But it's also it. I, I know with a lot of castings, uh, you know, they'll say that they're trying to be race blind or colorblind and. In this case, you you have to wonder what kind of play this was as far as, like, the production team by casting an actor like this. Was it to raise more controversy and more attention for the project, do you think? Well, that, that's, that's a, I think that if James were here, he would say that's the reason. Well, yeah. I, well, I, I think that, that, that uh, to, to respond to what uh, Colin was saying, um, even after Michael Jackson was already into the process of going through whatever were the processes <laughs> that led to lighting up his skin and so on. Even after that, uh, in an interview with Oprah Winfrey in the early 1990s, maybe 1993, uh, one of the topics that he addressed was this idea floating around then of hiring a white actor to play him in a Pepsi commercial. And he said explicitly in that interview, I'm a black American. I, I grew up as a black American. I'm a black American today. I'll be black American forever. Uh, he, does, he did not want to be played by a white actor for that. And so I, 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 even when his skin was already lightened up, to mm. call it some way, he was still emphasizing his identity as an African-American, True. as he called it as a black American. So, so that's at one level. At another level is that we tend to um, uh, sometimes not necessarily um, go deep uh, into 
the what is behind some people doing certain things to themselves, to their bodies, mm -hmm. so that they were uh, change certain aspect of it that is part of a racial identity. And that doesn't necessarily mean, like this example, what Michael Jackson was telling Oprah, that the person is abandoning the entirety of that identity. Um, I, I've seen this since I was growing up. So uh, I just want to raise that because even people, you know, like back in the day when so many people were straightening their hair, including men, right? Back in the like, you know, 40s, 50s, or 60s, or whatever, uh, that did not necessarily imply that they were abandoning their identity as someone of African descent. True. I guess what I was trying to say is, um, I'll say it, try to say it better this time too. Um, do I want to see more black actors in really great roles? Yes. Do I think that? Do, am I mad about what happened to Creed in the Oscars this year? Yes, Creed is my favorite movie of the year. Michael B. Jordan should be, have a Best Actor nomination. He should, as far as I'm concerned, he should win the Best Actor. That's the best performance I saw. Should Ryan Coogler, the great young black actor of Creed, have an Oscar nomination? Yes. Do I want to see more trans people get jobs acting in really interesting trans roles? Yes. But do I think Jeffrey Tambor should have the lead role in Transparent, where he's amazing and where he's good? He's really, really good. I, I think he should. I, I, I want to see the problem fixed globally in a very big way. But, you know, each particular case is kind of interesting in and of itself. I mean, Joseph Fiennes, what's Joseph Fiennes really famous for? Shakespeare in Love, which is about Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, straddling this very complicated acting problem uh, uh, in an era where men played women's roles, right? So, I mean, the world of acting is full of uh, these kind of protean transformations. And, I mean, I don't know, this... <laughs> thing we're talking about maybe a real piece of junk. But uh, on that basis anyway, I'm really – I, I'm, I'm not interested in condemning a casting choice before I see it play out. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it yeah. does. And I think the shorter version of that is that it is it, – it could speak to what Caroline said it could be for publicity. It, it's certainly absurd. The concept does not strike me as particularly funny in light of what it's responding to, 9-11. If it were just those three – people in a car going on a road trip maybe yeah, but that's sometimes funny. something that is so bizarre that you don't and and you know we haven't really had anything that has been a comedic response to 9-11 because they're really you think there shouldn't be one but sometimes that that element that is taboo can become funny mm -hmm. like the way i am interested in seeing if if he's saying the writing is good, how they take a circumstance like that. I mean, already putting those three people in a road trip together. <laughs> no, that, I, that exactly. is. I like that idea. I just don't like what it's in response in, to. In, in I, don't the know, I don't even know why you need that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, Luis, one of the things I think somebody on Jim's uh, Facebook feed shared this with us, but um, uh, Angela Bassett and one of her colleagues were sort of joking about the idea that maybe she should play Elizabeth Taylor. Orlando Jones. It was Orlando too. Jones. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I want to see Elizabeth. I want to see Angela Bassett play Elizabeth Taylor. Right. I think that would be great casting. You know, yeah. I mean, that could really work. Well, if, he, if he, I think that if you uh, from the start announce that your intention is to make a film where you have certain amount of parody and so on. And, and in, let's say, imagine for a moment that they said, okay, we're going to uh, hire Joseph Fiennes to play Michael Jackson and Angela Bassett to play Elizabeth Taylor. So clearly there, it's very explicit 
attempt to satire, right, to parody and so on. But that's not exactly the case no. in, in this no, film, right? So, so, but I want I want to say something else. Is that hmm. I mean I, I apologize maybe today being the contrarian. Um, no, we like uh, it. we like contrarians. But but you know I I'm I understand where you're coming from, uh, Colin hmm. and and you, the other guys here. Um, but it still upsets me for among other reasons. Just to focus on one quickly, is that there are so few opportunities for actors, right? Quote unquote of color. Uh, in television and in the film industry. And then when some possible uh, opportunity exists there, uh, they, don't, they don't have the opportunity to do that. I mean, that, that really bothers me. There is um, a, a Puerto Rican from Chicago actress, uh, Gina Rodriguez, who won the, uh, I think it was a Golden Globe, was it, for, for Jane the Virgin? She started in the last few days a campaign that she's going to start on Mondays to promote uh, watching television shows, films featuring uh, Latino, Latina actors. Um, and it, actually, the, the whole thing has spread uh, on social media, in part because the lack of opportunities, uh, such as the one that she recently had in this show. So it, 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 that's another part that bothers me, uh, that, that, you know, that, that you are uh, doing something that is affecting well, you're sending a bad message in that context. Luis, what you're, I, I sort of agree with you, what you're saying, because if the part of Elizabeth Taylor was cast in a contrarian way, you would know the intent, yes. right? This would be an absurdist thing. Mm -hmm. But it's Stockard Channing, who you could sort of picture tarted up and actually looking like Elizabeth Taylor, having a fairly good likeness and countenance and so that's a sort of realistic casting so that does speak to what you're saying who's, it, it who's playing Marlon Brando because I can play that role no well a good point to end and I mean I think his his point Carolyn is a good one I mean you do, there are I mean the global problem is talented black actors just not having roles available. And, and in that context, I mean, I don't know that this particular role was going to be a career maker for anybody, but anyway, I get his point. Yeah, I, I think that it is. There, it, it is interesting when this week, like I said, I've been going through a lot, a lot of these auditions and there, it, there's not even a lot of parts for women out there. Um, you know, as a woman who does comedy, like already you're up against, I was in an audition where you're competing against men. And there was a real, I was pretty sure they were just going to go for a man based on how it was written and what they were really looking for. They're seeing women just so that they're not getting called out on it, but they were going to go with a man. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just, it is a problem and it goes back to writing and what's getting produced and, you know, what they think people will see. I think we need to write a script in which you play Spartacus. I think I could nail that. I think so, too. <laughs> we, can, we can end on that note. We'll Actually, just quickly, for the point that Caroline just made, is that I remember seeing very few years ago uh, a study that said that in Hollywood, the movies where a woman was the lead character were in the single digits. Right, where there's that whole I mean, Alison Bechdel test, too. Yeah. All right. We have to take a break here, so we'll have time to debate whether or not the Earth is flat and what we're going to do about that. All right. Welcome back to The Nose with Luis Figueroa, uh, Jim Chapdelaine, and with her resting bitch face, Carolyn Payne. Uh, 
She's got her R O R B F. I guess that's what that is. Um, so uh, incredible. Carolyn's very cranky today, but uh, <laughs> but justifiably cranky. Um, there's a reason. So um, this next topic, I feel, and I will do this later in the conversation, that I could draw what we we call on the nose. It's a term of art on the nose. A Papulian through line uh, from this first topic <laughs> to the second topic. This is named after Irene Papoulis, who is very good at connecting topics. But let's just look at it on its own merits to begin with. This involves the Atlanta-based rapper B.O.B who I frankly had never heard of before we got involved in all this. Uh, and he had been making a big fuss on Twitter about his contention, about which he appears to be quite serious, that the Earth is flat and that uh, the horizon is never curved. And, and he's got some photos that, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to, to lay out. But he's, he seems pretty serious about it. And this uh, got him into a little bit of a feud with Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of the first people. He's an astrophysicist, a very famous astrophysicist who stepped forward and um, tried to, you know, gently refute that. And that um, resulted in B.O.B. Re- releasing a new song called Flatline, where he samples Neil deGrasse Tyson. We'll hear a little bit of that right here. So you want to find the farthest point from that center. And it turns out sea level at the equator is farther away from the center of the Earth than sea level near the poles. It has nothing to do with global warming and melting of the ice caps. Why is that? Because Earth, we know it spins once a day. Yes, thank you. Three people know the, how long a day last year. Good for row number two. They're <laughs> off to a great start. So, so you spin, you know, when you spin pizza dough, it kind of flattens out. Yeah. It gets wider in the middle. And So Earth throughout its life, even when it formed, it was spinning, and it got a little wider at the equator than it does at the poles. So it's not actually a sphere, it's an it's oblate, and officially it's an oblate spheroid. That's what we call it. But not only that, it's slightly wider below the equator than above the equator. A little chubbier. A little chubbier. Yeah. Chubby's a good word. It's like pear-shaped. Yeah. So, it turns out the pear-shapedness is bigger than the height of Mount Everest above sea level. Bounce, flatline, you fooled us for the last time. Flatline, flatline, there's no superior bloodline. So that was a very long sample. Uh, of Neil deGrasse Tyson in B.O.B.'s song. But part of that is it's a diss track and one of the things that he, he kind of makes, as, as people do, rappers do, when they're uh, dissing one another at the beginning, he makes fun of Neil deGrasse Tyson's physique and says he needs to loosen his vest a little bit. So I think that he enjoyed finding that track of Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about the pear-shaped chubbiness uh, of the earth, although, as others have pointed out, the more that he talks about the earth, the more it sounds like a Sir Mix-a-Lot tune. But anyway, um, so, Louise, first of all, I mean, do you think – first of all, do you think he's serious? Does he really think the earth is flat? Actually, I, I spent a bit of time uh, looking at his, uh, his Twitter feed. And uh, not only does he think this, he also has his accusations against NASA. Uh, uh, there's an image, you know, 50 years hiding truth from, from humanity. He has also another theory asking why there are treaties that prohibit – the exploration of uh, the North Pole and the South Pole. What are they hiding there from us that they don't want us to see? So it, 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 it's not just this one. There's several other ways in which, I mean, he's always talking about, okay, so 
you know, so I, I, I think that he actually does believe this. And, and apparently there are some people who still believe this. So Flatland, by the way, has this kind of Alex Jones core dump in the middle of it where he's also, uh, B.O.B. is worrying about uh, a cult called science and mirror lizards, ostensibly a reference to the conspiracy theory that humanoid reptilian elite governs the world. Well, that is true, actually. But um, he alleges a whole bunch. It's like a lot of this other stuff. He suggests that people delve into the work of Richard Sauter, who's written extensively about the government's network of secret underground bases and tunnels. Um, I mean, the great thing about this, Jim, is, and I think there is a great thing about this, <laughs> no, there is. is the way that it kind of just spirals into, I mean, suddenly you've got a, a somewhat obscure hip hopper having this feud with Neil deGrasse Tyson. A leading astrophysicist and, and a scientist of our time. So in answer to Luis's question about what we're hiding in the North Pole, that's easy. Superman's Fortress of Solitude. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that. So... Uh, and in answer to is the earth flat, I'll let you know at the end of the show. I purposely am running an experiment where I park my car mm-hmm. without the safety brake because yeah, I'm, I'm like that. Yeah. And so if it's gone when I get back, the earth is round. If it's still there, the earth is flat. Um, so it, and it does speak to a larger point to this giant cultural anti-science movement and anti-intellectual movement that's going on, uh, certainly in the Republican Party where they're denying – climate change and any number of scientific things. But flat earth is maybe the best thing. I guess the challenge is can you walk off the end of it? So it turns out that Neil deGrasse Tyson's nephew, I believe his name is Steve, uh, raps as Tyson. And so Neil himself, not uh, necessarily uh, all that fluid, spitting rhyme, uh, he got in touch with his nephew for this response track. He learned the game from Carl Sagan. You can never check him. You say the earth is flat and then you try to disrespect him. I'm bringing facts to combat a silly theory because B.O.B. has got to know the planet is a spin, G. Whoa. Very important that I clear this up. You say that Neil's vest is what he needs to loosen up. All right, you get the idea. So, Carolyn, the thing that I think is great about this is that, and so what I think Louise shared. There's a rap battle going on about science right now. They're spitting super hot fire. But but there's a third round too, right? Yeah. So, and to the the point that Louise was making, that we were all talking about in the A segment, here's my Papoulian through line, is that we we do have a world right now where there's a Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, an African-American astrophysicist who's very, very well known to lots and lots of people. And, And that even though this... The B.O.B. sounds like kind of a nutcase that something like this can go on and then get further adjudicated on the Larry Wilmore show where Neil deGrasse Tyson appeared on Wednesday night. Which is amazing. Yeah. That, I I was, that was one of the most amazing yeah. things that I've seen. And you have to I've love seen. Larry. Yeah. You gotta yeah. Give it up to Larry. Yeah. I mean, that whole segment, I watched that like three or four times. Yeah. And uh, I love when, you know. Gravity. Yeah, yeah, when he just, like, throws off that jacket and busts out. You know, he's yeah. in his tight T-shirt, and he's like, no, we're laying this down. Yeah. And he was great at yeah. it. It was yeah. it was wonderful. But B.O.B., I mean, his, his I hate Twitter, and this is exactly why, because it opens up the door for people to just <laughs> say things in defense of their own stupid argument, like, no, I'm not crazy. Yes, I'm feeling fine. No, I'm not doing anything stronger than weed. Am I doing this to promote my music? No. That was Neil deGrasse Tyson, too, actually. That wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the fact, am I doing this to promote my music? Yes. No one heard of you until you started yeah, right. running around saying crazy things. And, and until you put dots at the end of every letter in the name Bob. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I like the fact that, and this is, I think that this is consistent with um, Neil deGrasse Tyson's approach to being um, sort of like a public intellectual figure 
uh, proponent of science and, 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 and disseminator, if you to put it some way. I like the fact that he did not try to address this uh, from an elitist intellectual position uh, through elitist um, intellectual strategies about this, but he tried to do it, something that he has done in other contexts, uh, by addressing him at his, uh, in his terrain. Uh, with in popular culture, in Twitter, even willing to go to the Larry Wilmore show to mm. do the, the spoken word kind of rap and so on. And I think that that is important because we need to address people uh, in whatever context these conversations are taking place, not only in terms of the media, but also in terms of the discourse of the culture. And uh, that, that, to me, was very important because he could have, someone, another, I'm sure other uh, scientists could have easily tried to uh, attack VOB uh, in a way that will make him more of a victim rather than the way that the grass well, I'm just hoping that it. we're approaching a new culture where we all get into rap battles to do yeah. things out. Well, I mean, I, I, I said in the emails <laughs> that we exchanged before the show, uh, honestly, because I'm not into hip-hop, I, didn't, I did not know the concept of the diss track. So I went out digging for understanding what a diss track is. And uh, as soon as I began to hear some, I began to compile a list uh, by now, I could feature a double album of these tracks against a bunch of people across all lives that I've lived so far. So, the, so <laughs> I think that the next presidential debate should just be done in rap battle form. Uh, that actually is That's very, a good I idea. Mean, it, yeah. It's a good idea, except then we then we'd have to watch it. It would be awful, but um, awful. moderated by awful Super and Fire. wonderful at the same time, though. But yeah. well, even there, we have to acknowledge the monetizing of diss tracks and of rap battles, so that yeah. okay, Nas and Jay Z made millions right, yes. and millions yeah. of dollars. Now Nas insists that they didn't do it for the money; they really had that problem with one another. But certainly after, post Nas and Jay-Z, every rap battle, every yes. diss track that's come since yes. then has at least been open to the accusation that this is yeah. exactly the same, the same kind of visibility-raising mm-hmm. attempt that we, we yeah, suspect. Those are, I think those are arranged over a very civil, uh, elaborate lunch by their managers <laughs> in which they, they lay out the terms. I, I'm sure that happens now. I don't yeah, know about it. has to. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Almost has to. All right. So um, the uh, we're going to transition from there. I can't do a Papoulian through line to this next thing, but, but maybe somebody else can. So uh, as I keep saying, uh, according to at least one estimate of the 1.6 billion Facebook users who exist worldwide, um, about they generate at least 6 billion like clicks a day. Um, I hope I don't have to explain to anybody what that means. There's a like button. On, on Facebook. It's the easiest thing to do. It's the most recognizable symbol of Facebook, too, is the thumbs up like symbol. Uh, although people often complain they wish there was more. They li- wish that there was at least a thumbs down. Um, anyway, if you like things on Facebook, it's like, barbaric. Right, this exactly. is going to be barbaric. Uh, so the social networking giant is about to roll out emoji style reactions. That's what it's called. Uh, so you'll be able to express a series of other moods ranging from love, haha, wow, sad, uh, and angry, and you'll still be able to. Is like, angry the devil face or something like that? I'm uh, no, it's I don't like think a I'm, stressed out little like a red Actually, yeah. Kathleen, uh, uh, Kathleen, <laughs> Carolyn was the Carolyn. model. <laughs> was the model for the angry face today? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> the. Um, there was another button marked "Yay," but that was been re- that was removed after uh, beta testers said, "What? Yay? What? We don't want to say." Nineteen fifty. Nobody wanted to say. People yeah. didn't understand it. Hoorah! Yeah. Bully. <laughs> so I have complicated feelings about the like button. Um, who wants to go first? 
Oh, I will. Okay. <laughs> you've already torn Twitter to shreds. I don't know what you're going to do now. Yeah. So Zuckerberg is listening, except by the, the way. You, you are a liker. You're a fairly prolific liker. I do like a lot on yeah. Facebook, but I like that I can just kind of blindly like something and then move on. Mm. Uh, I feel like now that you have to express more, I'm not really into expressing I, I don't want to have to express my feelings, and I don't want. And then now, if you just click like, people are going to be like, "Oh, well, she didn't have a feeling about it. She just, she just did that." Damn it, Carolyn! You're an actress. I Express know. yourself. I don't want to, <laughs> I, unless I'm getting paid. I don't just tell don't her what want to, do. to express myself. But I, I think that it's just going to open the door to all sorts of situations of misunderstandings and. Passive aggressive, especially during an election season. Oh my lord! Yeah, I. So first of all, Jim, I mean, one of the things this, this we've all been to this thing. The post that says my grandfather died. He was the most important person in my life. He was a wonderful man. And then people click like, although they're also clicking, they're liking the fact that one's grandfather has just died. And everybody's everybody's had that moment. Like, do I, do I like this? Do I not like right, this? Right, right, right. So there's a little ambiguity there. But, but, but those. That's not the thing that would concern me. Now they would click, oh, uh, an empathy emoji, uh, sadness or whatever it is uh, uh, for something like that. There's nothing controversial about your grandfather dying. Mm -hmm. But when when we get – Fortunately, the yay button wouldn't (laughs) – Well, I guess there could be, right? Right? (laughs) Bully. Um, So so when when it gets into uh, uh, Trump – or Bernie and Hillary kind of duking it out and their supporters getting all crazy and nasty on Facebook. This is just another tool to amp that up. Yeah, the comment section is enough of a path to destruction, and now we're going to have these little... Like, Do you have to use one of these? Now you have to explain yourself. Okay, so uh, here's the way I want to approach this. First of all, (laughs) he's going to drop some. Wait, wait, wait! He's going to drop some. I express an angry face on whatever we're expressing ambiguity. I want. uh, I want to ask you before I I take it where I want to start taking it to ask around here. When do you guys join Facebook? You remember the year? Hmm. Uh, I do. Uh, 1974. Oh. No, no. Uh, for me, uh, two, 2006 or seven, maybe. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to bring up when Facebook didn't have a like button? Exactly. Yeah. Oh. So I joined Facebook in June or July of 2005, right? Oh. Um, uh, and Was there anybody else on there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. You just post yeah. stuff and yeah. then read it. <laughs> it was at a time when Self-like. Facebook... It was at a time when Facebook was only available to people in uh, colleges and universities before it opened up, right? Um, as you see in the in Now the, that's the called film. Tinder, I uh, think. So the thing is that, you know, and, and it, the, the, face, the, the whole design has changed many times. But I will be honest with you, until I read the article um, that Colin sent us, um, I, was, I, I didn't remember the fact that there was no like button on Facebook before 2009. So how did we express in 04 or 05 to 08 to early 09 our liking or disliking of, of things on Facebook? Why is it that we now associate, you know, it, it, to me, it's like the medieval period of Facebook when there was no um, like button. Uh, do anyone here remember that, what it was looked like? 
Well, I certainly – I think Jim and I were both on there before there was a like button. Yes. Um, I'm not sure Carolyn was even born <laughs> before any of this. Um, I was just learning to walk and yeah. then I learned to and, click like. And then, and then be angry. <laughs> yeah. But, but to your point, so, I mean, obviously what we did was we used words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Uh, yes. Knock that off. Yes. Yes. So, so one of the things that is, that is – I think you know, many people are commenting on it for several years – is how we are, in a way, civilizationally regressing into the era before, exactly, (laughs) hieroglyphics, before there was actually written script alphabets and so on. Uh, And people, uh, in in some of what I read, um, there are certain cultures in Asia where people actually communicate more through iconography in social media, than they do f- through actual uh, text, mm-hmm. um, so so that was that was the thing. But I I would say also there is one emotion that is not represented even in the six original ones, fear. Mm-hmm. If fear was available to you, do you think that you use it in certain contexts on Facebook? Um, is, isn't fear one of the most Simple. like like basic? core emotions that one could express in reaction to yeah, any but number is of Facebook the, the it's not the whole world it's just this little ecosystem right so do we really have to express every part of our inner landscape on Facebook I know some people do and, and, and but, <laughs> I'm but not sure that's a purely rhetorical question yeah, yeah I guess it is but I don't really need that I, I you know but Maybe now I can look at pictures of somebody's cat doing something cute and just, you know, the, oh, cute, and not have to say anything. That's or, what I'm saying. That's why lunch. the like button is just good. Yeah. I am a big liker because I yeah. believe in, you know, supporting people. Like, great. I think oh, people you will made be very, dinner. I'll click like on that. Good job. People will be but ginger about using these new tools. These, see, this is, so this is the thing. Like, when you post something on Facebook and you get, like, 50 likes, you do feel pretty good. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I get off on that. Everyone does. So, but now, Speak for yourself. <laughs> but now, you know, you're gonna post something, and you're gonna be like, "All right, I got ten likes, two sads, you know, ten happy, uh, and so eleven some, angry." So there's some social calculus. I don't know, I don't know how people right. are reading what I'm saying. So, all right, so here's, here's what the thing: doing is because be very the reason they introduced this, <clears throat> the reason they introducing this, has nothing to do. But your point to, to transition to that, connect what you just said, Caroline, is not about us. Is about Facebook compiling more data on how people use the system, the emotions they express in relation to particular posts and comments, and then use that with their computer science experts for marketing and advertising reasons. Because they are targeting what you see on the news feed. Part of the algorithm is to target advertising to you based on certain preferences that you express. Oh, I know that. Facebook advertised dressy yoga pants to me. And I bought them. Now imagine, now imagine <laughs> that. Now imagine the additional amount of data, very, very narrow, granular data that they're going to have on all of us uh, who use Facebook, and now we'll be able to express more emotions because a lot of the time, I would say this. I, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times I can go onto Facebook and scroll through, and even if I like something or another, I just don't click anything at all, right? So that is lack of data for Facebook. Whereas when the user goes in and has other kinds of emotional responses, that is monetizing the user even more than it is now. And, and, and it's, it's not exactly a niche. It's how many users, like 1.5 billion people 
Uh, so no, I don't think it's a niche, but it's not, it's not the full expression of who you are. Yeah, yeah. but his, his point is, is yeah. a good one. Which I, is, I it mean, is very good. The, yeah. uh, the Bloomberg News article we read said, if you like beauty tips, a friend shares from some Kardashian or other, the software calculates that you should also see ads and articles from People Magazine and Sephora. Uh, the, the value it has generated, the like the like button that is for Facebook, is priceless, says one analyst. So but there's I'm, sort of there's sort of that. But I mean, to me also, I will share now my complicated thoughts. First of all, on the one hand, I feel I have. Have some antagonism towards the like button because I feel as though it it one of the paradoxes of Facebook is that we wind up in contact with a lot more people than we've ever been in contact with before, at least not on a regular basis. You know, you're just hearing from all kinds of people that you wouldn't hear from regularly, so you don't really have time to treat them like like actual human beings, right? I mean, if you you can't communicate with all the people that you're hearing from on Facebook, so the like button becomes this incredibly cheap form of interaction. It's like, okay, so I'll just like it. That's all I have time to do anyway. Right, right. So I'll like it. So you'll you'll feel like I did something anyway. And and I do feel as though the the limitation of the like button, the way in which it's not really appropriate for somebody's dead grandfather, at least forces me occasionally to think, oh, I can't click the like button. I actually have to write a comment here. Mm -hmm. So now that I have this other arsenal (laughs) of these other little reactions, I'm worried that I'm going to become even more of a kind of snap user of of these kinds of communications. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I'm ambivalent about the like button. I'm going to definitely like Carolyn's stuff a lot more from now on. You know, maybe using these if you correctly use them, will keep the Kardashians off of your news feed. If you continually dislike everything Kardashian, maybe they eventually just disappear from your and from the, from from existence itself. Right. So, so you have you so have to you have to click the angry button. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. the one that a will lot. do the, That's the one that will do the trick, I imagine. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that they transfer. You know how you have the stickers on Facebook. I'm a big fan of expressing myself. There's actually ones called like Angry Dinosaur. And they, it's like dinosaurs, you know, just being like, I'm extinct. And I love just using those as a response to things or like, you know, there's these funny glamorous sharks ones. I think these stickers are great. So I'm kind of hoping that you can like personalize these emotions that you can always express yourself through, you know, a, like some sort of character that you create. It is going to get very gladiator-like for a while, though. It, it, right. Yeah, absolutely. All right, but we'll, we have to just cling to our humanity. Um, Somehow. Remember, the, earth is, fl- the earth is flat. The <laughs> um, car's gone. All right. Okay, so we're going to take a little break here. We'll come back with some recommendations for you. So the Facebook reactions will not include a how do we know each other button? That's too bad. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kion Wolf, with help from our interns, Alex Ingber and Benjamin Esty. Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR Colin, and the part of Bill Curry was played by Ja Rule. Again? For show pages, articles, and clips of Viola Davis and Lawrence Fishburne auditioning to play Robin Young and Jeremy Hobson, go to our website, WNPR.org slash Colin. On Monday's show, we scramble back from the weekend. And now, back to Colin. Yeah, we're probably going to do our regular scramble on Monday. Although, and I'm not even going to say the name, but the person who was, by general acclamation, the best guest we ever had on the Colin McEnroe show is going to be in town on Sunday. And I'm going to see if I can talk her into staying and joining us. How does it make you guys feel? 
Well, no, it doesn't. Panelist, panelist doesn't. Panelist doesn't count. Know. Panelists are in a whole different category. I'm hitting dislike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys are the second, third, and fourth best guests we've ever had. So, um, so anyway, there might be a surprise here Glad in the studio is. on Monday, but I'm not that hopeful. All right, time to do recommendations. I also think it is not the first time. I'm I'm serious. The Ja Rule has played Bill Curry on the show. But uh, anyway, uh, Jim, you want to go first? Um, sure. I don't have a whole big pile, but um, reading this great book, SPQR, uh, The History of Rome by Mary Beard. And oh, yeah. it's a, it's really a, a great book. And it it's the history of the history of Rome as well as the history of Rome. So it's kind of meta. And it's very plain speak and... Man, she zooms all over. It's very compelling. And um, it's one of those books you could put down for a couple of days if you need to. And and you probably do because it's about 5,000 pages long. But it's great. I wish it was even longer. Um, secondly, we had a Chinese exchange student this week who was one of the most lovely people I ever met. So I, if you ever get the chance to have an exchange student, have an exchange student. And that's, all, that's my endorsements. All right. Uh, that sounds like a, a lovely recommendation. So, uh, Carolyn, what have you got for us? All right. Uh, By the way, car- photographs of Carolyn's resting bitch face will be posted at WNPR.org. That's later. an emoji now. Yeah. yeah. You can express yourself <laughs> through my resting bitch face from here on out. That's my first endorsement. Um, no, uh, <laughs> this is a kind of weird one, but you know when you're browsing through a wine store and you're just sort of looking for something different and, and, and something jumps out to you and it looks like it's going to be just so weird that you have to buy it. Mm-hmm. So I recently purchased a uh, wine called Charange. It's an orange Chardonnay. And right there that it says you probably shouldn't buy it. But I did. And it was lovely. And <laughs> I thought you were going to say that skull vodka that Dan Aykroyd is selling. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I'm way classier than that. I, I drink Charange. I know. <laughs> um, but it just, you know, I just think that it's kind of like a good thing in, in life. You know, buy, buy the weird thing. Go ahead and, and take a risk and buy Charange. And also, um, funnyordie.com uh, is they just uh, continually create amazing uh, sketches and parody stuff. So if you don't follow it on uh, Facebook, and click like on it all the time, and now can click happy face or whatever. Just follow their stuff. I'm really into watching everything. And they actually have, if you have Amazon Prime, that you can watch, uh, like, they've put it together into whole little episodes. Hmm. All right, then. Luis? All right, so a couple of things quickly. One uh, is uh, the Red Carpet Experience, which is a fundraiser charity event for uh, AIDS Connecticut organization. Um, I've been to a couple of them uh, that I kind of enjoy this time. I'll be al- judging best dress. Yes, at that. and this time my alter ego, Accente <laughs> DJ, will be Accente DJ is going to be playing music you're all also night. Sitting, you're sitting with the founder of it. Yes, too. I know. That was going to mention that he's the founder. Um, so this is on Sunday, February 28th. Uh, uh, VIPs at 6 p.m. Uh, regular tickets uh, beginning at se- entrance at 7 p.m. at the Spotlight Theaters on Front Street, uh, across from the uh, Convention Center in in Hartford. That's uh, February 28th in the in in the evening for red carpet, you know, the Oscars night. Uh, but also tomorrow at 7:30, uh, Rear Artways and the Mark Twain House are bringing uh, to Hartford um, author, activists, performance artists and gender theorist uh, Kate Bornstein to give a talk uh, on trans beyond the tipping point um, at, uh, at Real Artways in collaboration with the Mark Twain House. This will be tomorrow night at 7.30. Um, the tickets available, uh, just go to the website for Real Artways or the Mark Twain House. Again, this is a lecture on trans 
by Kate Borshin tomorrow night. All right. So um, I always say that I founded the Red Carpet Experience. My friend Peter Shapiro and I did it. Really, it was really Peter. I kept saying, we're going to do what? And you go, yeah, no, we're going to do this. So anyway, uh, but it's a great thing. And please go to it. And we talked about it a, a week or so ago, too. Please um, support that. And you really have a lot of fun, too. It's a good party. So um, one of the things I'm going to recommend is uh, on the morningnews.org, the morningnews.org. Uh, they have something called the Tournament of Books. And it takes place uh, well, it's taking place right now, really, um, and, and but it sort of comes to a head in a March, and they they kind of recreate the bracketology of the NCAA tournament, but they do it with contemporary novels, novels that came out in the past year. So what it is, and so and what we we are now is an annual tradition. We form our own little group, uh, and we discuss these novels, which means that four of us are trying to read sixteen novels uh, in about I don't know six weeks or so. I've read one so far, but I'm I'm well, that's I, slowing down productivity in every office in. Right. Kentucky. Right exactly. Now. So, but I, but I'm a little ways into my second one, and it's this really interesting um, Vietnamese American author writing this f- fabulous novel called The Sympathizer. It's a book I never would have read in a million years if I weren't doing this crazy thing. So, check it out anyway. Consider reading four or five of the books because, particularly if you like me, find you're not reading literary fiction because you have to read so much other stuff or you spend so much time on Facebook or whatever it is. This will force you. This will force you to do it. This and getting the flu will force you to read more books. And I, I did both at the same time last year, which is how I got through All the Light We Cannot See and The Paying Guest by Sarah Waters. I'm looking so, at it right now. It looks yeah. fantastic. It's really it's a great thing to do. <laughs> the other thing is um, just to sort of uh, because Carolyn has been through all these casting calls this week, I was listening to – I have this very ambivalent relationship with the Nerdist podcast hosted by Chris Hardwick and his friends. But David Duchovny has a really interesting interview there. He has some very funny descriptions of casting calls for commercials that he went to as a young actor. And you always, I always forget David Duchovny is just his dissertation short of a PhD from Yale. He'd done all the other work. He'd done he'd, – he'd sat for his orals, all this kind of stuff. He just hadn't done his dissertation. Uh, and then he wound up being the star of the X-Files and he's never going to be a PhD. But he's a very, very smart guy. Very interesting stuff uh, to say and very articulate. All right. We got to go. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah. Moon landing? Totally fake. Yeah, probably. Who killed JFK? Big Pharma. Mm-hmm. Elvis? Yeah, I saw him at Big Y yesterday. Me too. The Earth? Totally flat. All right, now you've gone over the edge.